Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons that they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way, and we should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share the show with a friend. Everybody, hello! Welcome to episode 289 of the podcast. It is Jessica, and I'm so excited to help you learn more about a topic that I didn't know a whole lot about. The topic is dyslexia, and I think there's some common misconceptions about what dyslexia is, who it affects, and it is far more reaching in our classrooms and with our kids than I think we even are aware of. Did you know that one out of every five students in every classroom struggle with dyslexia? Yeah, and dyslexia doesn't discriminate, and it affects people of every age, race, gender, socioeconomic status. And today my guest is Phoebe Beecham, who is passionate about helping people to understand more about dyslexia. She is the founder of Decoding Dyslexia Utah, where they are focused on raising dyslexia awareness, empowering families, informing policy, and Phoebe's going to talk about all the work that she does with this organization and how dyslexia has affected her family personally. It is a fascinating conversation. I walked away knowing so much more about this and having some questions that I'm going to be looking for and asking my kids as well. So let's get to it with Phoebe Beecham. All right, I'm so excited to be chatting with Phoebe Beecham today. Hi, Phoebe. Hey. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Good, good. Phoebe's a pretty progressive name for our generation. <laughs> right, that is a namesake. I'm named after my great grandma, so. Well, she's even more progressive. Golly, I love it. That is super awesome. Names are super special. Everyone was named Jessica when I was born, so there we go. <laughs> well, it's so nice to meet you, and we have a really interesting topic to cover today, dyslexia. And to be honest, I don't know that much about the specifics of dyslexia, and I was a teacher. That's not great, right? No, I was an elementary school teacher. And so the fact that my third grade students, and we're going to talk about that third grade marker of kids struggling by third grade and what that can lead to and things. But the fact that I was not better trained to A, identify dyslexia, B, help help assist children who are struggling with dyslexia, that does, that's not good, but I don't think I'm alone in that. So I'm really excited to learn more about this. And I know people listening either may already be affected having a child with dyslexia, either they have it, or perhaps their child is struggling and they're not sure how to help them or what the deal is. And maybe this is the answer to their prayers. So Phoebe, will you just give a little background personally on yourself and your family though, before we start? Sure. Yep. I, um, I grew up in Utah. I still live in Utah. I am a mother of three, uh, ages 12, 10, and 8. The two oldest are boys. They are both dyslexic. Before kids, um, I went to school at Utah State University, uh, earned my bachelor's degree in business administration. Um, I work mostly in small business, independent pharmacy um, is my background. Uh, I've been a stay-at-home mom mostly since my oldest was born um, until about three years ago. 
and um, my husband passed away, and I started tutoring out of my home after that, and so now I'm a work-at-home mom, and I'm about halfway done pursuing my master's degree in healthcare administration, and about six and a half years ago, when I discovered my son was dyslexic, I co-founded Decoding Dyslexia Utah. Um, it's a nonprofit, and I spend anywhere between 20, 30 hours a week advocating on behalf of struggling readers in Utah and their parents. So that's about me. <laughs> you need a few more things to do. <laughs> Holy cow, Phoebe. That is a lot going on. I had no idea about your husband. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Yeah, wow. it's, it's, it's not... You know, it's not a fun journey, but it's mine. So yeah. we, um, we get through it. Absolutely. How long has he been gone? Uh, it'll be three years in January. Oh yeah. my gosh. And how is your family doing? They are, do you know what? Considering we do really well. Yeah. Wow. We are, we are pushing through and um, my kids are doing well and um, we're thriving. So that's good. Did you think shortly after he passed that you would get to a point of thriving, not just surviving? Because I think that's a big fear for whether you've lost a child or a spouse or anything. Right, right. No, it's definitely survival mode, particularly that first year. And you're like, if I can just get through this. But after that first year, like, you're, you're like, well, now what? You know, mm, yeah. <laughs> Still, it's not any better. So it's um, it's a huge adjustment it's for my kids and for myself and we you know we try to not focus on that you know the hard parts of our life but try to look outward and focus on others helps too sure so. well yeah and even once you move past that initial grief knowing that our time is finite we only have so many days and how do we want to spend those days and how can we contribute and how can we become really our best selves and our best contributors in this world? And there's no time to waste, is there? Right, exactly. And that's very, comes to the forefront when you deal with loss. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you are doing it. You are certainly doing it. So can we go back to your first child who you did not know had dyslexia at some point for the first few years or whatever, how long or how old was your son when you realized he was having some challenges in reading or were there other challenges you noticed? How did that dyslexia diagnosis come to pass? The first thing that I should have noticed that I didn't, he had early warning signs. Um, I didn't know what those warning signs meant. Um, he absolutely had a speech delay um, and I was speaking for him a lot. I was mm. telling people what he was saying <laughs> because I, I was interpreting, right? I was interpreting, um, you know, and I found myself doing it constantly because, because he was frustrated by the fact that people didn't know what he was saying. Um, and so I would just tell people what he was saying. And I had, um, and he took, he was in preschool for four years. So he had that early exposure. He had all of those things that he needed um, and it was the preschool teachers who would say things to me, pull me aside. He really should be talking better. He really should be able to count by ten to ten by now. He, you know, and then as as time went on, he really should be able to count to twenty by now. And so 
my the earliest thing that I know I knew that there was a speech delay I didn't know um, that that was a warning sign I did know that he was having trouble counting I didn't know that was a warning sign but I knew that was a problem those were just little little hints that I had um, uh, the professionals in my life letting me know that this was um, an issue, but not really directing me towards what that might mean. Sure. So do you even think the preschool teachers thought dyslexia? No, I don't think so. Um, I I had some, he had excellent preschool teachers. And if they had known, they would have most absolutely have said, you should look at dyslexia, particularly my husband was dyslexic. And if they had known about, known about oh. the, the family history and that piece that contributes, they absolutely would have said, um, uh, recommended an assessment for sure. Okay. So there so, is but, a, a generational component in a, so if you have a relative with dyslexia, you're more prone. Absolutely. It's, okay. it's highly heritable. It's about 50%. Oh, so. that's very high. Right. That's higher than most statistics you hear in medicine. Holy moly. Yeah, my mom's a preschool teacher, and she gives the initial nudgings for parents, you know, watching out for certain behaviors or things. But to be honest, she's a fantastic preschool teacher, and I have never heard her bring up dyslexia or suggest, right. hmm, maybe look into this, you know, because – they're not doctors, obviously, but they can plant the seed in the parent's mind of maybe go down this path and just start exploring and seeing where this takes you. Because to me, the sooner you can figure out the root of some behaviors or delays or whatever, the more answers and resources there are. The frustration decreases dramatically. Now, some parents want to push back a little bit more of thinking, you know, there's nothing wrong with my child and you know, you can't push that sooner than they're ready for. But to me, at least, I just see so much relief that comes from having at least a path to go down and, and some help and some hope. Absolutely. That's so true. Um, and I've experienced that um, definitely with working with parents. Some do give a little bit of pushback um, and, you know, and that's that can be heartbreaking as well. Most of the parents, I, t- I don't know what happens after mm-hmm. I talk to them, you know, mm-hmm. I, you know, give them some direction and then I don't know what happens. And, um, you know, sometimes I find out and sometimes I don't, but um, definitely uh, even pediatricians have that opportunity to, and they don't know um, warning signs. In fact, I um, had my pediatrician when, as I was a little bit farther down my journey, and I had created this warning sign list and um, and what to do next list um, through Decoding Dyslexia Utah. And I had given that to my pediatrician. She actually waived my visit fee that day because she was so happy, right, yes. just to have that information and to share it with parents. Right. Oh, so. that's so amazing. And the fact that now you can be an advocate and spread this awareness. I wish they would follow up with you a little more, though, so you can at least hear that. Oh, I'm so glad that you found the help that you needed yeah. or whatnot. But, man, okay, so for you and your personal journey, so there was those warning signs in preschool. Then he entered elementary school. And, I mean, the standards and the rigor, even in kindergarten, is so much higher than it was when we were in kindergarten. So, Tell me kind of what happened next, and then how did you land in the camp of dyslexia? Right. So after four years of preschool, um, right before kindergarten, you know, you hear those 
students who he had students in his class my son has been competitive since I think the day he was born and he had other students in his preschool that were reading and he was like I'm going to read and I'm thinking he had learned his alphabet and it was interesting uh, a lot of that was that was unusual for a dyslexic student um, particularly with his severity level um, but they it his preschool teacher had used zoophonics and it had had all these components that he needed. And I kept thinking, why can he remember his alphabet, but not his numbers? Um, and that's going to be different for different students, but for him, that's what that was. And, um, I tried all these different things. I tried singing. I tried saying it fast, saying it slow, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, just ridiculous things. Um, and I couldn't, and what I finally discovered was he needed a visual component. And as soon as I put that visual component with his numbers, um, he learned to count in, in five minutes and he was so relieved. And here's this little five-year-old and he looks at me and he says, mom, that is the best thing that you have ever done for me. Wow. And oh. right. Okay. So he, sorry. What do you mean by a visual component? So um, with his alphabet, there had been animals. It was zoophonics, and there had been, you know, this visual like he knew he knew animals, and he could associate that letter with that animal, and that's what helped him remember. And there isn't they don't have that for numbers, and so I just made up really random, ridiculous pictures to go with his um, oh. numbers, and that's what he needed, and that's what that was the piece that he needed. Okay, thank and, you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was asking, you know, I was, I remember Googling things like sequencing disorder <laughs> and just, you know, knowing, I, you know, I knew my husband was dyslexic. And even knowing that, if you, if it, it's unusual for an adult to know that they're dyslexic frequently, they've been undiagnosed. Um, but my husband did know. And even knowing, we didn't know what that meant. We didn't know what it looked like. We didn't know what the warning signs were. Um, so you find that you really just didn't, don't know about your own, um, kind of learning disability. And so when I, what I, what finally got me to the term dyslexia was I was in a homeschool group and I thought, well, I need to get him reading before kindergarten. And, um, a homeschool mom said to me, if he's having trouble sequencing, you really should look at the signs of dyslexia. And that's, that's how the first time I heard that hmm. in regards to my own son. And, um, I, it was like a light bulb went on and I thought, well, oh, of course he's dyslexic. His dad is dyslexic. <laughs> and so you don't put two and two together mm -hmm. until someone kind of spells it out for you. And just going through all those years of preschool and not knowing, and then having it sitting right in front of me. I just wanted to help other parents get to that point as well. Oh, so, but yeah. he did read his first word before kindergarten. Wow. That's <laughs> we, amazing. We had started an intervention program and we did that. See, and this is, this is the miracle. This is like, like you said, it's like unlocking the secret, right? It's, it's like, okay, now that we know, we can know how to approach this. And so, just so everything is perfectly clear for people that are listening. So when you say sequencing, are you talking about any type of like pattern making or things like that, or just the numbers in order? What do you mean by sequencing? So that if parents are wondering, oh, well, does my child, can my child sequence? I don't know. I have a four-year-old right now. I'm going to go test him. <laughs> so he, 
for him in particular, and it's it, like I said, students are different. It was the counting. He couldn't remember what order the numbers went in. Um, sometimes it will be the alphabet. They can't remember the alphabet. Um, the alphabet song helps a lot with that um, for many students, which actually masks mm-hmm. their symptoms. But they also struggle with naming the months of the year. Um, that's a sequence. Um, so anything that has an order that doesn't necessarily have some sort of meaningful, so experiential meaning, like he, he used to be in plays. So all that sort of memory comes really natural to him. But if there's not some sort of experience that goes with it, then if it's just like a rote memory, it's really difficult, really difficult. Um, he needs some sort of support, um, to remember those things. It's like context or a visual cue or things like that. Okay. Yeah. So I have a four and a half year old. He'll be five in July. And so I could send him to kindergarten. I'm supposed to send him to kindergarten. He's not going to be ready for kindergarten. He's my third. He's my last. I don't push academics super hard at home. I believe this is very developmental years and I'll do what is developmentally appropriate. However, he has no interest in learning letters and I wonder is it because it's hard for him? Is he struggling with it? And that's why he doesn't want to practice. So when, if I, you know, we're, we're cooking in the kitchen, I say, um, uh, that's, I don't want to do a blend. So pan, 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 hmm, what is that? What's that sound? What's the first letter in pan? Like M, like he has no clue. (laughs) And so I'm like, does he not care? Is he stressed about it? So that's why he's kind of not focusing I don't, I don't, I don't know. So what what would you suggest I do in order to kind of assess him? I would, um, you know, there's so many things available that weren't available six and a half years ago. There are online, you know, warning sign tests that you can do with really young children. Um, and they mostly tell you whether or not to pursue further testing, Mm. um, Students can be diagnosed with 92% accuracy as early as age six and a half. Um, So yeah, four four is early, but you're absolutely smart to pay attention to those little things. Like if there's resistance, if there's, you know, if they're just kind of like, I don't quite know what you mean by this Yes, I think he doesn't know what I mean. Yes. (laughs) Right. So family history is a is a big one. Speech delay is a big one. However, my second son is dyslexic and he spoke very early and very clearly. Hmm. And so it's not, these are not these warning signs are not like a hard and fast blueprint. It's very individual. Okay, can you briefly describe your second son's experience where you were led to understand? Yep, he has dyslexia, even though it looked much different. Right. So you know, there's guilt associated with a lot of times as a parent of a dyslexic, um, particularly some of these parents of students, you know, when I get them when they're in third grade or fifth grade and their parents are like, I knew something was wrong, you know. For me in particular, that guilt comes from I had all the information. I knew about it and he still wasn't um, identified until he was halfway through first grade. He knew his letters. He knew his sounds. He um, he was kind of decoding those. Um, so when they're assessed for dyslexia, they look at a few things. They look at um, phonemic awareness and whether and that's their ability to, 
to manipulate sound. So the the assessment will do kind of exactly what you are doing with your youngest is is these these say pan now say pan without the puff mm-hmm. you know and to be able to manipulate those sounds and pull it apart and their understanding of that and um that's a really basic and probably two-thirds um makes up two-thirds of a dyslexia diagnosis um the other third is um called rapid automatic naming and my my second son didn't have a phonemic awareness deficit and that is why he was able to speak early and clearly and he um he he can manipulate sound just fine um his issue is that he the rapid automatic meaning is he wasn't able to look at a letter and identify it quickly enough to be a proficient reader mm-hmm. and so they yeah so they test that really young with colors so mm-hmm. yeah does your does your student know their colors how quickly do they know their colors how quickly do they know those letters and their sounds um if there's any sort of even a fraction of a second delay it's going to affect their reading um and i think that's that is you know a a piece of this puzzle that gets overlooked a little bit um but that's what my he had severe delays in rapid automatic naming and in fact he was so low and they tested him that they couldn't they, they couldn't score him wow. <laughs> and so right so um different profiles different things if they're if they're struggling in any way you know an an assessment is always a good idea Okay, that's good. I just realized we didn't even define dyslexia. And I think we all have like a general idea of what we think it is. But would you just like lay it out there? What is dyslexia? Well, I'm I'm just going to read IDA's definition. And I kind of, uh, IDA is the International Dyslexia Association. And um, it's it's the best definition that we have. Um, It's in a lot of law. So (laughs) I'll read that. And I I should have this memorized, but I'm going to read it. It's (laughs) a little long. Um, Dyslexia is the specific learning disability that is neurobiological in origin. It is characterized by difficulties with accurate and or fluent word recognition and by poor spelling and decoding abilities. These difficulties typically result from a deficit in phonological component of language that is often unexpected in relation to other cognitive abilities and the provision of effective classroom instruction. Secondary consequences may include problems in reading, comprehension, reduced reading experience that can impede growth of vocabulary and background knowledge. And that is a lot of scientific kind of terms. Basically, what they're saying is if they're struggling with reading, um, they you can you know, it's obviously obvious that they have average intelligence, um, and, and they're not getting it. And, Mm. and so that's what a learning disability is, is, and, you know, this unexpected, like, this is a smart kid, what's going on. Um, it doesn't, a dyslexia doesn't, um, affect, uh, it doesn't, it's not influenced by IQ at all. And so you can have a gifted IQ and still be dyslexic. Um, and I think in society, our society has so closely tied reading to intelligence that that's a difficult thing for parents to grasp. It's a difficult thing for teachers to grasp. Um, but it's not an intelligence thing. So sometimes they'll see a teacher will see a student, and they're like, "This student is smart. They must have an ADD, or, or they must be lazy." You know, um, these other I, things that they get um, kind of labeled with because of their unidentified dyslexia. Mm. So, 
Well, no wonder it's so hard to diagnose. And so and no wonder we're not all able to see this in our own kids. It's very complicated. And there's so many factors. I mean, disinterest in reading, finding the right types of books. I mean, it could be as simple as that in order to get your child reading more. The more they read, the more they can progress in reading. That's what I always tell my kids. Like, you have to read to become a better reader. However, <laughs> there are also these factors at play that we often ignore or don't acknowledge or don't pinpoint and address and give them tools in order to help them because they're not going to read more advanced books if they can't understand the text. That, that is so right. cruel, really. It is. And um, you provided a stat, 50% of American adults can't read a book written at an eighth grade level. Is that true? In this day and age? Yes. Yes, what? absolutely true. Um, yeah, it's, it's shocking, really. Um, the inability to kind of do like this deep thinking, you know, when it comes to reading text, mm -hmm. they just, they just won't do it. And, and it's amazing. Um, you hear these stories of adults who they carry around the shame. They don't tell anyone that they can't read. Um, they, you know, until they hear from someone else that has struggled, they think that they're, it, it's just them and mm -hmm. that it's their intelligence and that they believe that they're stupid. Right. Um, but they can't and, learn properly. Even if they're smart enough to comprehend these more advanced topics, if you cannot read word problems in math, if you cannot learn, you know, read out of a more advanced textbook to get the information for advancing down a path, whether it, you know, no matter what topic you're you're reading about, you are always going to be limited. And it's not at all your capability of what you're able to understand but it, it will be reflected that way. Another stat you provided, 85% of all kids in the juvenile court system cannot read proficiently. And I mean, I, when you think of a poor, I, disadvantaged child sitting there in a courtroom and they're being tried because of mistakes they've made, I mean, just think of what's going on. Beneath, I like the iceberg analogy, right? You're seeing one thing, but underneath, it's the kid who feels stupid in the back of the class right? Who feels right. like they're speaking a different language and they're not keeping right. up and they are afraid of being found out. And so they start doing other things. Oh, it just breaks yeah. your heart. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Um, it, it's interesting, you know, and we, that's a tough statistic, you know, and, and it's particularly tough because if, if we, if teachers had access to this science of reading or to what to do, like think of the prevention, you know, that it would, that could entail. Um, when I talk to parents um, and, and a lot of them have limited resources, I give them a priority list. And the priority list is if you only, for instance, if you only have $500 to put towards this, um, you fix their self-esteem. That is right there is the biggest indicator of their success over their grades, over anything, whether or not they learn to read, if you fix their self-esteem. When I get students and they're in third, fourth, fifth grade, they are broken. They have chips on their shoulder. They are angry. They are, and it's so difficult to undo. Um, if you think about sitting in a classroom for six hours a day, you fail your first job. Your first job in school is to learn to read and you fail. And as much as 
as school, they try to not make it look like who's the best reader. They all know, right? Hello. They all know yes. who's the best. Mm-hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. knows. Yeah. And so they um, they experience this shame and this, you know, it's it's deep and it's difficult and it is that has a greater impact on their success than whether or not they learn to read. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely always tell parents that you find out what they're good at, you let them do a lot of it, you let them feel success. You you know they need that they're they're failing like I said six hours a day and they need something to counteract that. And then you move on to intervention and then a, a diagnosis is third, you wow. know, um, if you have limited resources, um, if your child is struggling, um, the great thing about the science of reading is that it will work for any, you know, no matter what it is, but most likely if you're looking, if you have family history and you have some of these warning signs, this, that is what you're looking at. Okay. So can you tell me where I can find any of these um, assessments, the best resources online and stuff so that I, we can just point parents there and I'll link everything at Extraordinary Moms Podcast, of course. Right. So we have, um, Decoding Dyslexia has actually chapters in every single state. So no matter what state you're listening from, um, you can look for Decoding Dyslexia, fill in the blank state. Okay. But we like you, <laughs> um, Phoebe, so we want to go to yours. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Right. Our, my uh, website is decodingdyslexiautah.org, okay. and um, there's all sorts of resources on there. Um, some of them are specific to Utah as far as recommended um, testing places for tutors, but many, much of the information is just standard. Um, and if you would like that same information in your state, they that information is available through other decoding dyslexia chapters. Um, absolutely, if you go to, so in Utah, you can only get a legal diagnosis through a neuropsych or a psychologist. Mm. So, and I think that is mostly the same in most states. Some states you can get a screening, a screening week will tell you quite a bit as well. And they do a lot of the same tests. The difference is they don't do an IQ test. They're not legally allowed to do an IQ test. Um, and that can be an important piece of the, the puzzle. A lot of the time, these students are dealing with multiple layers of different things. Some of them are, it's paired with ADD. Some of them it's paired with other behavioral problems. And some, you know, and sometimes it's just dyslexia, but it's comorbid with lots of other things. And um, dysgraphia just, you know, affects writing and some, you know, just all sorts of other things okay. um, that can be going on that um, a screener may, if they're just looking through a dyslexia lens, may not catch. Well, yeah, and I would think it'd be more likely that the opposite happens, that the ADHD or whatever the other thing that it's paired with that's maybe more common or more talked about or more apparent, that's probably what gets labeled. And then this dyslexia piece has always been there, but it's been masked by this other, and they're continuing to fail in reading and... Oh, that just right. breaks your heart, right? And so, so realizing that it can go hand in hand with other different types of right. um, disabilities and learning disabilities, I think it's really important to know. So, how right. are your how are your boys? So now they're twelve and ten years old, and so yeah, we gave these yeah. 
juvenile court statistics and stuff. And that's not to scare anybody because there is so much hope when you're able to get on that right path. And I love that you led with the self-confidence piece. How did you do that? How, how are your boys at the time that they were struggling with reading? What was their self-confidence like? And how did you cultivate that personally in your own home? And how are they doing now? Right. So when I first started and my son was, you know, six, I would talk to other parents and they're, they're, you know, there's, they would have these stories and they're suicidal. And I think, thank heavens, I don't have to deal with that, you know, but then when my son was in second grade, there it was, you know, you know, here he is eight years old and he's like, I wish I was dead. And I'm like, what? You know, like you don't realize the impact that it has. And this was, and this was my son who was, who was identified early, you know, and, um, it, it, it just is so, it has such, I don't even think I understand how deep it goes with these kids. I got him into counseling and for him, that's all he needed just a few months of just talking to someone and, and, um, And it took a while, probably until third and fourth grade before they would let me go and talk to their class about this is what Walter or it's Walter and Emmett are dealing with. And they, um, this is why I take, pull them out of class every day. Um, this is what they're doing. It doesn't have, it doesn't mean that they're not smart. You know, um, I think for the most part, kids are, kids are only unkind when they don't understand if they understand, then they, and they're like, oh, that makes sense. They're less likely to tease or to shame them. And so that was an important step for my kids was to allow me to come in and kind of give a little brief presentation on what this is and what it looks like. And I think that helped empower them. Mm-hmm. We, um, Decoding Flexity Utah also has a mentor group which has been huge for my son. He was able to see other kids like him in high school, teaching him how to use his his assistive technology, teaching him how to advocate for himself in a classroom, Um, just mostly letting them know that they're not alone so that isolation, feeling of isolation is alleviated in some sense. Thank you for sharing that. That must have been such a hard, hard time. I can't even imagine and you, and you think, not my kids, my kids, thank goodness it's right. not my family, right? We've all had those moments and it can be a totally different circumstance than what we're talking about here. We've all had that. Well, my kid doesn't look at that on the computer or my, my kid, yeah. you know, gets straight A's and then their grades plummet and you're like, oh, oh. So how is their reading today specifically? So it sounds like their confidence has improved and we've had lots of those yeah. tools in place. How is their reading? Um, my 12 year old is what we, you know, label remediated. Um, wow. he, you know, a painful aspect of being a parent of a student with, that struggles to read is, is this letter that you get home every, you know, three times a year saying your student is not reading at grade level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's so important, um, that we have that law that informs parents of that but at the same time it it is painful and it um and so I had gotten to the point where I just thought well we may never get to that point um both of my kids are severe um you know my husband was held back in kindergarten and my goal was that they didn't get held back in school you know that was 
that you know I felt success if 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 we could just not get held back mm. and um and they didn't get held back but this year my oldest is in sixth grade and he is reading at grade level and I didn't think that day would ever come and so that's been you know years and years of daily intervention basically um and it that's not the case for everyone I don't want that to like a discouraging kind of scenario um some of these students you give them what they need and they they jump to grade levels in six months you know if they if they just get the tools that my second son is not at grade level but he's getting there and we're closing that gap um you know you the statistic is if you're a poor reader in first grade, you'll be a poor reader in third grade and you're going to be a poor reader in eighth grade. Um, that is the, the, um, path that they take. Um, but if you, you know, if you just are slowly chipping away at that gap, closing that gap, that's what's important. Mm. Yeah. One step at a time. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm sure it can feel so overwhelming. Right. And you feel like, are we ever going to get there? Like you said, with your oldest, but here you are. But even if you hadn't fully gotten there, acknowledging Mm -hmm. the progress. And I think as parents and as women, we could be so hard on ourselves that we're not at point Z in the, in the progress ladder. Right. But the fact that we Mm -hmm. even are making any forward movement, we celebrate our kids for learning to walk but they fall 5,000 times before they proficiently walk and run and then go on to do extraordinary things with their bodies. Where, where is that applause and that acknowledgement and that praise and that confidence building that goes with simply taking step after step after step, even before you get to that end goal, right? Yeah, Mm. absolutely. It's important. And it's particularly for these students, it's important that we celebrate their milestones. Yeah. For sure. I have a lot of um, people listening and women on the show who have children with different special needs, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, just challenges in general. I think we we all do. All kids have have different set of of needs and circumstances and challenges that that need special attention. Um, And it can be really, really challenging for moms to... To deal with that, to feel like they're equipped to support their children in in all the ways that they need. Maybe they feel responsible Mm -hmm. if they're making not enough progress that we think they should be making or they're not making the changes we want them to make or the choices that we wish they would be making with their lives, whatever that is. How have you been able to take care of yourself and to not have it way. I mean, I'm sure you do feel mom guilt like we all do, but how, how do you personally manage or how have you evolved in managing those expectations that it's not up to you? It's not all up to you. You can only do your part. Right. Um, gosh, that is a tricky question. Um, I, as a parent, you get so wrapped up in, you know, moms in particular, like we want to fix things. Right. And, and I have spent oh so many hours um like I said I go would go to my kids school you know every single day um except for one so four days a week um I'm going to the school for an hour and pulling my kids out because the the school didn't wasn't wasn't able to provide um what they needed and I was doing that myself and I I felt that pressure to do that that as a mother and as a 
as a parent. Um, and I don't think, you know, we don't, we just, we're not thinking about, gosh, I'm getting burned out. I should take a girl's trip or you you don't. Um, and, and I, I'm not a good, (laughs) I'm not a good example. Um, you know, to come up with that. I, my greatest kind of pleasure that I get or satisfaction that I get is just helping other, um, other parents, helping other students. Um, being a tutor is so rewarding that, I mean, really these kids are, when they look at you, like, you know, and they're in, you know, 10, 11, 12, and they look at you like, why didn't anyone tell me this or show me this, you know, that is, that is kind of my way that I take care of myself, you know, as far as, as that goes, because it just, it is, it's really rewarding to be able to help these kids that are, you know, have been angry or sad or, or just confused. And as soon as they get that label, like, oh, I'm not dumb, I'm dyslexic. Um, you know, it's huge to them, you know? Wow. You are such an angel, Phoebe. Wowie, you are so extraordinary. And extraordinary moms don't parent perfectly. We're not perfect people, but we're trying. We're trying so very hard and we're doing our best. And the fact that you are refueled by the accomplishments of others and the growth of others and, and that look, like, oh, that's that's just amazing. I love it. Okay, so we, I'm going to link everything at extraordinarymomspodcast.com of where they can find um, your organization in Utah. And then I'll try and find a few other states of popular listen, listenership <laughs> states and stuff where they can find their own, um, what's it called? Decoding. Dyslexia. Decoding dyslexia. Decoding and then there's chapters in every state. So um, I'll, I'll link link over there and you can and find it in your own state. Some are more active than others. Some okay. have better websites than others. Oregon is great. California is great. Oklahoma is great. Iowa is great. New Jersey is where it all started. Mm. Virginia is great. Massachusetts. There's there's some some states that are much more active, but there's okay. there are chapters in all states. Okay, that's really good and to know. So Canada. <laughs> yeah. There you go. There you go. We do have Canada Canada listeners. We do. Uh, well, this has just been so informative. I feel so much more empowered after this conversation. And I am going to look a little bit more closely at my four and a half year old, even though I know it's still on the early side of things. But just being able to like stay on top of things and be like, huh, I'm going to keep that. I'm going to keep watching that and see see how that progresses. Um, because I think obviously early intervention in, in most things is so, so key before it snowballs into a much larger issue and much lower self-confidence that you're trying to combat, right? And, and to build back up. So, so good. Is there anywhere people can follow you personally online? Um, no, mostly just, I mean, I am pretty liberal with my personal Facebook account. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anyone wants to contact me, I, I spend most days talking to some parents and a lot, some of them are local and some of them are not. I'm happy okay. to help anyone on their journey okay. and point them in the right direction. Okay. So. I'll link people over there if anybody has any questions and wants to, to hook up with you. Phoebe, this has been mm-hmm. such a wonderful conversation. I'm so appreciative. I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Oh, that you'll always be doing your best and that's enough and um 
you will have a, a profound impact on those around you without, and you will, you'll never know the extent of that. Mm, I love that. I think it was Oprah. Well, I know it was Oprah Winfrey who um, was talking about one of the schools she opened in Africa. And she told Maya Angelou, Maya, this is going to be my greatest life's work. This is going to be my legacy. And Maya Angelou, so, so I said, my dear, you will never know your legacy because it is in every life that you touch. And that is just incomprehensible, right? And, and it's yep. the ripple effect because you may be talking to one family, dealing with one child, but then it's their kids and it's their kids and it's their kids, right? And it's just, gosh, like when you think of it like that, you're like, I can keep going. I can do this, right? right? I, I need to keep showing right. up. We all need to show up when you realize that ripple. And we all have that power in our own sphere. We do. Love it. Phoebe, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really, really appreciate your time. It was a pleasure. Good luck with everything you're doing. I find it so interesting when we broaden our minds to a topic that we thought we knew something about, perhaps, and really realize we don't know the half of it. If it's not our direct experience, sometimes we allow ourselves to stand on the periphery of a topic, whether it's dyslexia or special needs or learning disabilities or homelessness or racism. And if it's not directly impacting us, we just kind of don't go there. And in turn, while it may not directly affect us, it is affecting people around you. And the more we can learn about these topics, not only can we catch it in our own kids and in our own families and have tools and resources to empower us and to help us along the way, but also we can have a greater sense of compassion and understanding of other people and their life experiences. I learned so much about dyslexia today. And like I said, I'm going to be watching my youngest for these phonemic awareness and letter skills and patterning and all these things. I had no idea. And he may or may not have it, but just being aware of those markers and those early warning signs can help so, so much in alleviating a lot of stress. And our talk about confidence in kids um, in my conversation today really just struck a chord with me. And I think we all want that for our kids to feel good and empowered, that no matter what their struggles are, no matter what their strengths are, that they are enough and they are worthy and they are loved and supported. So thanks so much to Phoebe for coming on the show. I'm linking to everything we talked about today, um, including her nonprofit, and things like that over at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at JessicaDalquist3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thank you so, so much for tuning into the podcast today. You are the best. And we'll see you next week for another episode with another Extraordinary Mom. Bye.